Hello, everyone. This is Jacob Emerson with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Don Berwick, who served as CMS administrator during the Obama administration and is now a health policy lecturer at Harvard Medical School. So, Don, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the podcast today. My pleasure, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And so you and I spoke a few weeks back about the state of Medicare Advantage in 2024. 33 million people are expected to be enrolled in the program by the end of this year. Of course, that makes it the dominant form of Medicare in the country. Um, when you and I spoke, you, you had said that the program, in your opinion, has not fulfilled its original promise of, of saving money and that you're thoroughly convinced that it costs the taxpayer, the Medicare trust fund, and even beneficiaries much more now than traditional Medicare does. So my question for you is, is how should we be thinking about Medicare Advantage moving forward? And I say that given that it, it's obviously very popular. It has consistent growth year over year, but like you said, it, it may not be living up to its original cost-saving promise. We need changes. Um, I mean, the first problem is uh, overpayment, as opposed to the original chartering idea when the ancestors of Medicare Advantage was created. Uh, instead of reducing costs while improving quality, it's raising costs and not improving quality. And the, the cost raising is phenomenal. Uh, estimates vary 70, 80 billion a year, up to over 100 billion a year of subsidies going to Medicare Advantage. And those come from somewhere. They come from uh, Medic traditional Medicare beneficiaries, they come from the taxpayers, they come from the Medicare trust fund. It's not free money. It's someone has to pay. And those subsidies don't go into making better care for Medicare Advantage uh, patients, uh, beneficiaries. Uh, largely, they go to extremely high profits to the insurance companies. And um, I don't think it's fair. So it's time to stop it. Uh, we've known about it. Med MedPAC, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, has spoken out about it over and over again. We have researchers that have produced the uh, information that I'm speaking from, and it's time to stop it. So um, I think the future has to begin with reigning in the Medicare Advantage abuses right now, uh, profiteering behaviors, risk score gaming, uh, the quality bonus system, which is possibly a good idea, has now been completely distorted. Uh, and Medicare Advantage players continue to put up barriers to care through preauthorization, coverage denials. Uh, their their networks are inadequate from the point of view of quality of care. In my opinion, many, for example, exclude um, advanced cancer centers from their networks. That's not fair. So I think we need to to rein in that system. As you said, Jacob, it's pretty late in the game. I mean, MA has taken over the majority now. I believe of Medicare beneficiaries destabilizing traditional Medicare, and it's not going to be easy to, to get it back where it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned those overpayments stemming largely from the risk coding issues. Um, we have seen CMS take some steps recently around things like implementing tougher auditing standards for MA plans, risk coding cha changes beginning this year and for the next few years. And, and as you as I have talked about, the agency is currently seeking public feedback on how data collection and transparency in the program can be improved. Um, but I know you've also said that you want the government to go further. You want the government to move faster. Can you dive a little bit into that and explain what you mean? Yeah, well, let me, let me start with kudos to CMS. I mean, I ran CMS back in 2010 and 2011. And, and I, we, politically, we couldn't have taken the steps that CMS is now taking. We didn't have the support politically or frankly, even for, I guess from the, from the administration. Now CMS, through its uh, new uh, payment notices and payment rules, 
is trying to, to decrease the opportunities for, for gaming risk scores, uh, really, really important changes and trying to move toward more transparency and more accountability. So I, 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 I applaud CMS for that. that. That's taken some courage. And that's really important for people who care about Medicare and about fixing this problem to stand up visibly, publicly in support of CMS and signal Congress that it's time for them to support these changes in CMS and not not uh, not not slow them down. Yes, I'd like to go faster. This is a kind of a, the bleeding continues. We have depending on which researcher uh, you follow, something around let's say eighty billion dollars a year of subsidy. That is a ton of money, and it could help uh, if we could rein it in, increase the lifespan of the Medicare Trust Fund, and I think very importantly, if we could rein in. A pull back some of that money from Medicare Advantage now, we could devote it to improving traditional Medicare, which frankly, I think is as good or better a program. I'm a, I'm a Medicare beneficiary, and I unequivocally choose traditional Medicare because it gives me choices, more flexibility, and I think in the end, more accountability. But we have to rein the money in. So CMS, you know, in its rate notice in 2023, uh, for example, on coding changes, put in a, uh, a three-year period of phasing in you know, I wish they'd done it faster. Uh, now, the insurance industry, the Medicare Advantage industry, is pushing back and saying that's too fast. It, you know, the signals are please slow down. And I say no, no, that that money has good use now. So that's that's my feeling. Beyond that, um, there are other there are other changes that Medicare that CMS could make uh, under current regulatory authority, which they're not making. The one that sticks out in my mind is the coding adjustment factor. This was a congressionally authorized uh, decrease in Medicare Advantage payments given evidence on overpayment, and it's been stuck at 5.9%. That's the amount of decrease due to coding adjustment that's been in place for years. Uh, CMS could increase it, should increase it. MedPAC has shown that that's nowhere near the adjustment that's now called for giving the given the migration and payments between traditional Medicare and Medicare Advantage. And, and I, you know, I, I wish that that could be, could be added to the mix now. Why not increase the coding adjustment factor? That's not happening this year. The current rate notice, I don't believe, has any adjustment beyond the 5.9%, but it's another example of what I mean by kind of going faster. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you say, so you have a Medicare policy, a traditional with a supplement uh, policy. What, what would you say to those who um, who are in favor of Medicare Advantage uh, proliferation to everybody and that that it's that it's cheaper for people who are on low incomes, um, that, that many Medicare Advantage beneficiaries are low income and that a supplemental policy is pretty expensive up front. What, what would you say to somebody who's who's saying that? Well, first, that they're correctly describing the current setup because of the subsidy. Some of that subsidy goes to reduce the cost to Medicare Advantage beneficiaries with lower or no premiums and with benefits that are not available in traditional Medicare. That should change. That's unfair to the additional Medicare beneficiaries. It's unfair to those of us that pay for Medicare overall. So, no, I, I would love to see and want to see the uh, benefit structures in traditional me in, uh, Medicare Advantage continue, but be spread to traditional Medicare. Now, where does that money come from? Well, from the overpayments. The overpayments are not going by any means totally to benefits or cost reduction to Medicare Advantage beneficiaries. They're going to extremely high profits and uh, payoffs to the Medicare Advantage plans and their investors that 
have nothing to do with the benefits to the beneficiaries. And by the way, when the Medicare Advantage plans claim that they can't keep up their current benefit structures if these decreases in overpayment occur, I, I, I don't agree. Their profits are so high that if they simply decided to be more disciplined and more honest about the profiteering that they're doing, that money could go back to beneficiaries. So I, uh, at the moment, Medicare Advantage plans are able to offer things that traditional Medicare can't because we're overpaying them. Sure. No, absolutely. And we certainly, in the in the most recent earnings calls from the largest carriers, we did see some some threats made to to potentially cut benefits. Um, and others uh, candidly say that these changes are not enough to keep up with uh, current utilization rates. Again, that's coming from the largest payers. Um, do Do you think there is a political appetite to do what you're saying um, to? equalize and bring on better benefits for traditional Medicare right now in Washington to introduce things like vision and, and uh, hearing benefits? Uh, I think it's growing. Uh, we're starting to see more members of Congress kind of become more alert to the abuses in the Medicare Advantage side. And we are seeing some support to CMS for the steps they're taking. So I think they're, the political winds are starting to change, but do not underestimate the lobbying power of the Medicare Advantage plans, it is enormous. Uh, they they uh, can make contributions to Congress, and they do on both sides of the aisle. Their advertising budgets are enormous. I, I think, as you know, Medicare Advantage took out an ad in the Super Bowl in twenty twenty. <laughs> yes, come on, guys. Uh, everyone like me, a Medicare a beneficiary, gets mailings all through the year from Medicare Advantage plans. And remember, this kind of advertising or public relations. Uh, wave of public relations, it can't be done by CMS for traditional Medicare. They don't have a budget to do that. They don't have the mandate to do that. So it's a very lopsided, you know, advertising field. So, um, you know, I, uh, I, I think despite, it's, it's funny, despite that, despite the enormous lobbying power and advertising budgets of MA, I think we're starting to see some shifts. Part of this is educational, Jacob. I'm, I'm always intrigued that there are some members of Congress, I'm not exactly sure quite how many, who have signed in several years, over several years, a letter uh, to CMS in support of MA, you know, touting its advantages, telling CMS not to cut it and so on. Those same con Congress people, some of them, sign a letter against the abuses of Medicare Advantage. I, I'm not sure they understand the what's going on here. And I, and, I, and I really do believe more and more members of Congress and more and more of their staffs are starting to see, wait a minute, $80 billion a year going in subsidies here? We need that money for other purposes. So I'm uh, becoming a bit of an optimist on this, although it's really a, it's really an uphill struggle. Yeah, no, it's interesting to see some of the public support that comes from federal lawmakers in terms of, like you said, the signing those letters year after year. I will say from our perspective, when we report on on the, that specific issue, it really only is progressive Democrats who who really come out swinging against some of the overpayments and some of the reform that uh, you're, you're, you're saying is so needed for the program. Um, but I do want to follow up on, on something you said earlier, and in the vein of the political pressures that CMS faces internally on this issue, you said that the the political environment when you were in charge of CMS versus now is a lot different. And so I'm wondering if you could um, explain a little bit about some of the internal pressures that, that the administrator faces, that the agency faces, that maybe the public isn't so aware of. I think you've, you've touched on it already a little bit. 
Well, of course, the public is aware of the hyperpolarized scene in Congress where Congress is really having trouble making any decisions altogether. I wish they would change and just some some centrist forces would occur where people say it's more important to govern than to fight. But anyway, beyond that, uh, the lobbying power of the uh, insurance industry is absolutely enormous. And in the administrator's office, the phone rings. Uh, members of Congress, both Democrats and Republicans, phone the administrator, phone into the legislative office and the political side and say, don't uh, press our plans. You know, don't don't uh, don't lean in on the on the uh, over on the overpayments uh, because they're getting contributions from their lobbyists uh, to say that it's every day. And I want to emphasize it is bipartisan. The, the, you know, many Democratic members of Congress are beginning to have to rethink their positions on Medicare Advantage because for years they've been part of that same that same nexus. Uh, it's enormous. This all traces back, of course, to Citizens United and the uh, the role of uh, corporate uh, money in in politics uh, on both sides of the aisle. And I mean, sooner or later, I hope we can, as a nation, get the less money into politics and more into the well being of the of the public at large. Um, it is interesting to me that if you let's imagine that it were possible to mobilize uh, congressional support on both sides of the aisle to to uh, claw back or decrease these overpayments to Medicare Advantage. Let's say that Congress suddenly found itself with 70 or $80 billion to put into what it really needs money for, uh, not just improvement traditional Medicare, although that should be part of it, but use of that money to improve the health of the nation. We have problems with food insecurity and housing insecurity and access of people to uh, mental, proper mental health, behavioral health care. Congress and the president's face, the presidency faces uh, a lot of difficulty finding money to put into health and well-being. And that would be the payoff. That's part of the payoff of changing this um, unwise uh, subsidy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really fascinating to hear your, your perspective on that. Um, I've also got to ask you, or I want to re-ask you about something that you and I had talked about as well previously, um, our, our reporting from last year on some large health systems, um, notably one in San Diego, Scripps Health, and then also some small independent rural hospitals uh, around the country dropping some or, or even all of their Medicare Advantage contracts, either citing major financial losses or administrative burdens around things like prior authorization, We've seen health system executives candidly uh, encourage their senior patients not to enroll in Medicare Advantage plans. Um, and like I mentioned, Scripps Health cited $75 million in losses annually from, from their Medicare Advantage contracts. That all being said, I, I, I do need to be upfront that we do not know the full scale of this trend like you've mentioned to me. Um, there just is not the data to get an accurate picture around this. But anecdotally, we, we have certainly heard from MA carriers and from large systems that hospitals are becoming more discerning about their MA contracts, and some are slimming them down in pursuit of true payer partnerships. So what do you make of this trend, of, of this reporting, and how do you think hospitals should be navigating uh, uh, these tensions right now? It's complex terrain, uh, Jacob, as you said, and and I want to reinforce what you said. We don't really know how big this particular trend of hospitals and other providers dropping out of the Medicare Advantage world. Uh, it the cases that have happened, like Scripps, have made headlines, but we we just don't yet have the data on the size of that of that uh, trend. So so we have to 
carve the problem up into pieces. Let me start with MA, where, where this, which is this interview is largely about. Remember, Medicare Advantage plans, for the most part, not all, not all, for the most part, are highly profit-oriented, and they will do whatever it takes to make a higher profit. That includes charging more and paying less. And so on the pay less side, they're going to be putting pressure on hospitals to uh, accept uh, lower payments. Uh, now you say, well, that's how a market works. Yeah, but some hospitals are able to absorb that without much trouble and or through uh, raising their market power through mergers and consolidations, which is happening in urban markets and in giant hospital systems that are using market concentration to shore up revenues. So in that case, I would say, I guess, Medicare Advantage, by pushing back on those higher uh, prices, uh, it, it can be helpful in, in back pressure on hospitals that are overcharging. But then there are a lot of other hospitals, community, rural hospitals, that are under severe financial pressure. They don't have the market uh, power that the large giants are able to exercise. And they suffer in a Medicare Advantage environment in which the game of the game is make more profits by paying less. So it's a... I, my, my view is the underlying model is broken. Uh, first, hospitals still in this current payment system have to manage to top-line business models. They're after revenue. And the whole battle is going to be, can they charge enough uh, and or charge more? This, that's how they become sustainable. We, we haven't brought this nation towards what it needs to be, a population-based payment, focus on outcomes, and getting hospitals off the gerbil cage or just having to do more and more to keep the you know the beds full and the and the uh, the income coming. Uh, so, so this is all, kind of, what I'm saying is this battle between the hospitals and MA is a manifestation of this underlying broken system in which everyone that gives care wants to get more and everyone that pays for care wants to pay less. The original idea behind Medicare Advantage's predecessors was population-based payment, like some of the really wonderful, truly good managed care players, the good ones in the 1970s and 80s were able to to work better, and that was a that was a healthy model. There, by by uh, aggregating payment, you could do wise things. I, I worked in a HMO for most of my clinical career as a pediatrician, and it was wonderful. I, I mean, if I had a kid that was having asthma attacks, I had no, I could easily get a home visitor in or train the mother in use of a home nebulizer. That was all part of the game because we weren't being paid, you know, widget by widget. It was ticket. Do the right thing for a population. You know, I must say, if the Medicare Advantage plans would do that and stop this focus on, uh, you know, uh, quarterly returns and investor profits and profiteering and high, you know, enormously high uh, uh, executive pay, if they'd really get back to the business of improving health and saving money, well, maybe they'd have a maybe maybe they'd have an offer to make the country that we should back. Right now, no, that's not what they're doing. So you're essentially saying these these stories like scripts, they're they're symptomatic of a much larger underlying systemic issue. Um, I talked to Dr. Sachin Jain about this. He, of course, he leads Scan Group down in Southern California. Um, and Scan Health Plan is one of the, the MA carriers that was dropped by Scripps Health uh, beginning this year. And so, like I said, we talked to him about this. And essentially, he told us that Medicare Advantage is the closest thing we've ever come to for true value-based population-based care in this country, and that health systems making moves against it are are essentially making moves against value-based care efforts. Uh, what, what would you say to Dr. Jane's thoughts there? Well, I'm a friend and fan of Dr. Jane. I think he's one of the good, great thinkers in this country, and yeah. in charge of the whole thing, 
uh, I think we might be seeing a responsible population-based payment movement. But no, that's the exception, not the rule. The, most of the Medicare Advantage plans are not oriented that way. As I said, they're oriented toward profits, indeed short-term profits, and they'll cut whatever they can. So I, I, I think he's describing a corner of the market. With respect to Scripps and SCAN, uh, I spoke with Chris Van Porter, who runs uh, Scripps, and you know, he described the pressures they're under with with all of the unfunded mandates that Scripps um, is under in California with uh, nursing staff ratios and and uh, seismic compliance is a long list where which he has no control over. Those costs go up and he can't possibly control it. And so when payers show up and say, well, we're just going to pay less, he's got an unsolvable problem. The structural problem there is the underlying cost of delivery in which we really need to rethink uh, how hospitals run, how healthcare is delivered, move healthcare out to the home, and decrease use of ineffective procedures and uh, things that, that don't help patients at all. But that's that's a topic for another day. <laughs> Absolutely. And I do want to mention for our audience, Don, just in case anyone, anyone's not familiar, this Scripps is probably the most notable example of, of this trend, but there were at least 15 other systems across the country that, um, like I said earlier, dropped some or all of their Medicare Advantage contracts, either late last year or going into this year. Um, some like really only going against some of the larger carriers that we've mentioned today um, and, and certainly not dropping all. Um, but before we go, Don, I do want to make sure to, to give you the floor in terms of offering your final thoughts, um, but also any final pieces of advice you would want to share with all of the health system and all of the health plan executives who are listening in to us today. Well, uh, let, let's start with, with, a, with a positive. You mentioned uh, such a Jane. Uh, so, so, you know, the, remember the original idea behind Medicare Advantage way back was that if you really organized care for populations of people and took responsibility for everything that affects their health, a sure, smooth flow of care across boundaries, like when patients leave hospitals, someone's going to know it and take care of them at home. And you build a payment system that supports that kind of superb, integrated, patient-oriented, uh, evidence-based care, you get better results. You get better outcomes for patients, and you get lower costs. That, that was sort of proven by the early good I saw the good part of the HMO movement that that I got to be part of. So there was there was a good idea in there, um, and it's still a good idea to coordinate care. Our problem as a nation is to create a payment system, whether it's through health plans or through the government, a payment system that actually supports better care for people. That's the best way to lower cost. So such in speaking from, you know, the right textbook in a way. Uh, uh, the problem is even the good guys, even the good plans now in a, in a market which in which coding increases and denials and pre-certification, you know, are just the game. You lose if you don't play that game. So we set up a really toxic environment for what I might call the good guys. And I think it is such an is among those who claim, well, somewhere in this MA story, there are some positive opportunities. Maybe, yes, they have to be nonprofit. They have to focus on the needs of beneficiaries. They have to strictly limit payment to executives. They have to stop the profiteering. They have to get out of the coding game. But yeah, there could still be a role for the administration of good health plans in this game. I think the government can be that. And, and so uh, if traditional Medicare were to be supported properly, it can also become support to coordinators, coordination of care. And indeed, in the ACO uh, structures that uh, were birthed during the period of time that I was there, 
under the Affordable Care Act and some other wonderful innovations being fostered by CMMI, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. There are the germs of really good ideas on the government payment side for coordinated care. Our goal should be coordinated patient-centered care, and we should put profit in the back seat. Now to the plans, I don't know what to say. It's like, you know, stop it. Just stop it. It, 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 you know, you've made your billions, you've, you've got your stock values up, uh, stop it. Uh, stop playing games with the wallets and pocketbook of the nation and the government and beneficiaries and start doing what you really were supposed to do, which is give better care and continue your lower cost, lower cost to beneficiaries, and importantly, lower total cost to the government and the public at large. That's not what you're doing, leaders, and it's time for you to step up and stop scaring people. I, I, I really have very little patience for the plans of the plans to kind of convince the public and the, benefic and the beneficiaries in Congress that really bad things are going to happen if you if you force us to stop these behaviors. That's not that's not responsible leadership. And I wish they would just stop it. Help us help help the country achieve Medicare costs, total health care costs that are lower, not higher. And that we can offer our patients the chance, our people, to the chance to be healthier. That's not the job they're doing right now. Well, Don, I appreciate your candidness. And I appreciate you also offering a few hopeful thoughts to end us off today. So thank you for, for taking the time and for sharing your expertise with us. We, we truly appreciate it. Thank you, Jacob. Appreciate it. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare, you can visit beckershospitalreview.com. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm -hmm.